we've been in a series, we've been looking at the different names or descriptions that Isaiah prophesied about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9. As you're turning there, I, I, uh, I heard a guy this week um, pre- preaching a sermon. I like to listen to a lot of different sermons um, when I'm at the gym or if I'm running or something like that. I'll, uh, I'll just listen to some podcasts. And so every now and then, instead of listening to somebody that I typically like listening to, I'll just search a particular topic in, in, my, in my podcast search, and I'll just listen to somebody random from anywhere across the world. And uh, I did that this week. I, I kind of I searched this this passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter nine verse six, and I put in the name or the description of Jesus that we're going to look at today, which is everlasting Father. And when I put that in, it came up with all kinds of different sermons. And so I clicked on one and I was listening to it. And uh, it was a younger guy. I don't think he was the lead pastor at the church. I think he was uh, preaching on that particular morning. Maybe some other staff was gone or whatever the case may be. Or maybe they shared a series like we do around here a lot of times uh, with our staff because they're um, extremely talented as well. But anyway, uh, this guy was preaching and he was, he was talking on the topic of the description of Jesus as everlasting father. But he was sharing a story about his own kids, which I thought was um, extremely uh, uh, interesting. The story uh, began with him getting home from work after a long day. Now, at this time, his kids were pretty young, and so probably many of you, especially dads, but moms too, you probably remember what it's like coming home when your kids were young, and they haven't seen you in a while, and so when you open the door, typically the first thing your kids do is they run up to you to greet you, right? It's a pretty exciting moment. Now, I've heard as they get older and become teenagers, that doesn't happen um, anymore, but my kids, they, they still do that a lot of times. Now, a lot of times, they're doing something something different or just don't care maybe that I'm home. I don't know. But anyway, um, I'm looking at them, so sorry I'm picking on them in this moment. But uh, they would run and greet me, and they were excited that that dad was home, right? Well, he's sharing this story. He gets home. His kids run to greet him like normal because they're excited. He's been at work all day. They've missed him, and so uh, they get to greet their dad at the door. But on this particular day, they had a surprise for their dad. And so they said, Dad, you know, we're excited you're home, whatever, hugging his leg, that kind of thing. They said, Dad, close your eyes. We want to lead you to something that we made today. And so, you know, the dad did, you know, he closed his eyes and he followed his kids, although you've probably done that before and they ran you into something. And so he acted like his eyes were closed, even though he could see where he was going to navigate through the hallway and the living room and wherever. And they bring him to the kitchen table. And on the kitchen table, they had been setting out their nativity scene as they'd been decorating with their mom, uh, decorating the house for Christmas. And they had a willow tree nativity scene. Now, if you're unsure what those are, I got a picture for you so that you can see it. I know you may be kind of far away, but one of the trademarks for the willow tree people, I don't know if there's better terminology there, is that they are faceless, or I guess they have a face, but they don't have anything on their face. I don't know the proper description uh, for that. And so, They've got everything set out for their dad, and they say, okay, dad, open your eyes. We've been decorating for Christmas. And he opens his eyes, and to his amazement, he sees their very expensive willow tree nativity set that should look like this, but instead, all the people now have eyes. His boys drew eyes on the nativity set. Now, I don't know that mom had seen it at this point, but dad, of course, giggling inside, knowing how expensive it is and probably how unhappy mom will be when she finds it. Before he says anything to them, his oldest son looks up at him and says, daddy, we drew eyes on them. Of course, he had already seen it. And he says, well, why why did y'all do this? You know, kind of, he gets to be the good guy like most dads in this moment will get to be. And his oldest son looks up at him and he says, dad, 
We just wanted to make sure that all of them would be able to see Jesus. I know it's a cute little story, right? But is that not really what we want Christmas to be about for the world every single year? Isn't it a new opportunity for people's eyes to be opened so that they can see Jesus. Now, I think this is exactly what Isaiah was doing when he prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Look at it with me. It's very familiar. Here's what the prophet wrote. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Now, we've looked at this extensively over the last few weeks. Jesus would be the wonderful counselor, or in the Hebrew, Pele Yoez, the guide that we need for this life. Jesus would be called the mighty God, or the El Gibor, our strong and mighty warrior, hero, champion who would defeat sin and death and the grave. And in a time in which Isaiah's writing, in the context of Isaiah chapter 9, the people of Israel are being led by a wicked leader, leading them into captivity, leading them into destruction. And here's what we know. They needed a better leader. They needed a better ruler. They needed a better king. They needed Jesus, the everlasting father. And I'm reading that, and I'm processing through this story that this guy shared about his kids that I thought was funny. And here's what I thought. Isn't that still what we need today? Isn't that still what the world needs around us? We don't need more money. We don't need better government. We don't need better uh, political parties or better welfare systems. What we need is a better leader. What we need is a better ruler. What we need is a better king. What we need is Jesus. And what better time for people to see Jesus than during Christmas? Isaiah says, his name shall be called Everlasting Father. Now, this prophetic description of Jesus comes from two Hebrew words. The first one is Abi. The second one is Ad. Now, according to the Hebrew text, even though it's different than our English translations, the first word is not the word everlasting. The first word is actually the word for father. It is the word Abi. Now, the word can mean father. It can also be translated as ancestor. It refers to the head of a family. Now, at this time, fathers were and still are, according to the Bible, the head over other members of the house. Fathers were the ones who were responsible for passing down the knowledge of God and his ways to his family. This is why it's translated as the word father. The word father has also been referred to as a word that means source. As in Jesus is the source of all creation, the father of everything. The word doesn't have to mean someone who is your biological father. It could refer to Jesus as the foundation or the source for everything in life. 
This is why the Apostle Paul referred to him as the firstborn over all creation in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. As a matter of fact, one commentary writer put it like this. Maybe a better translation is not everlasting father, but rather father of eternity. Among the Jews, the word father means originator or source. For example, Satan is the father or originator of lies, according to John 8, 44. If you want anything eternal, you must get it from Jesus Christ, who is the originator, who is the father, who is the source, the father of eternity. Now listen, I think both of these are true. Certainly the word father would mean the head of a household and who better to lead us toward God than Jesus himself. Certainly he is the source. We know that from scripture. Foundations upon foundations are laid because of Jesus. However, I think there might be a deeper meaning behind the word father that Isaiah uses in chapter number nine. Here's how another commentary writer put it. He said, everlasting father pictures the Messiah as a ruler, as a king who demonstrates fatherly concern for his people. In the eighth century BC, everlasting probably would have been understood as royal hyperbole. Of course, in the progress of Revelation, one discovers that Christ's eternal reign will literally fulfill the language of the prophecy. The title Father must not be understood in Trinitarian terms, as in Jesus is not taking the place of God the Father in the Trinity. Instead, rather, in this context, it is best taken as an idiom currently used in the ancient world for a benevolent and just official or ruler or leader or king. Now, could it be that Isaiah was referring more to a king or a ruler than he was to what we think of traditionally as an earthly father? As a matter of fact, the context of Isaiah 9 might would suggest that type of interpretation of this word. Here's what he wrote again in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. You've heard it. Let me read it to you again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yes, Jesus, we know him. He's awesome. Yes, but listen to the context. Here's Isaiah 9 verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I don't know if when you read that you get the same kind of picture I do, but I feel like he's claiming that Jesus will be a better leader, a better ruler. He will be a better king who will uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now, would Jesus not be the ultimate ruler? Would he not be the ultimate king? Would he not be the perfect representation of his father, David? Now listen, remember what the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. Let me read it to you. Traditional part of the Christmas story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now listen to this. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. I think that's a little undersold, by the way. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you caught this from what we sang this morning. We sang a song called King of Kings. Here was the first verse. In the darkness, we were waiting, without hope, without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word. This is the story of Christmas. From a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. But listen, don't miss the courts. Praise the Father, praise the Son, Praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. I think when Isaiah wrote the word father, he didn't picture a biological father like you may be thinking of. Instead, I think he meant the perfect King of kings. Listen, the second word is the word for everlasting. The word is odd. Abiad, that is Father everlasting. The word means lasting future time. Or maybe you would better understand it like I do. It means forever. Now the noun version means forever. The preposition version means until. Both similar in their unknown duration. They just last forever or until, and who knows how long that might be. This word is often combined with another Hebrew word that means long time. As a matter of fact, usually when it's written, combined, these words mean long time forever. Or we might translate it like the writer of Exodus does in chapter 15, verse 18, when he wrote, the Lord will reign forever and ever, or literally long time forever. Or like Micah did in Micah 4, 5, for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever, or long time forever. Isaiah would suggest that we should think about God as forever or everlasting. So if I could put this into a sentence, here's what I would say to you. Jesus is more than a reflection of an earthly father, who, by the way, for maybe some of you in this room, might have been really, really bad. Instead, Jesus is the perfection of a heavenly king. This is why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As a matter of fact, listen, I want us to look at the many ways that we can help people see that Jesus is the everlasting father, the Abiad, the perfect ruler and king who reigns forevermore. Listen, it's not just the willow tree people who need eyes so that they can see Jesus. Listen, it's our world, it's you, it's me. I want to see Jesus. 
I don't want to miss what is spectacular about the everlasting Father, the King who will reign forever and ever and ever. Well, how do we see him? Well, can I tell you something? The list could have gone on and on and on and on, but I want to show you just a couple of ways this morning that we see Jesus, that we can show the world who this king, who this perfect ruler really is. Here's the first one. Our King Jesus brings life. It's not a whole lot of people who can claim that type of authority, but our King Jesus brings life. He really is our father in the sense that he brings life physically. Here's what Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen to this. All things were created through him and for him. As a matter of fact, if you read way back in the beginning of time, you will discover that Jesus is there as God creates everything. You read in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's interesting about the word God and the word created is that it is a, a plural subject with a singular verb. Now, for those of you who are experts both in Hebrew writing and maybe just grammar in general, this would contradict itself. Why would you have a plural noun with a singular verb? Well, here's why. Because our God, who is one, exists in three persons. We know them as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All of them there at creation, at work. You say, Danny, that alone can't be enough. Well, if you keep reading in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 2, here's what you discover. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Verse 3, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said let there be light and there was light as a matter of fact we find the other two parts of the Trinity in verses 2 and 3 God the Father creating all things in the beginning Genesis 1 1 but also we discover the Spirit of God who's hovering over the face of the waters and then we discover the Word of God as God speaks everything into existence and God said and so it was you say Danny how does that relate to Jesus because we know Jesus is the Word of God here's what John wrote in John chapter 1 listen to this in the beginning was the Word who's he talking about he's talking about Jesus and the Word was with God who's the Word Jesus and the Word was God who's the Word Jesus he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. We must never forget that Jesus was there when all things were created. And even beyond being present, don't forget what Paul wrote in Colossians 1, by him all things were created and all things were created through him and for him. And you say, Danny, why are you telling us all this? Because think about Jesus as everlasting as you think about the Christmas story. Think about this. Jesus was born of a woman, yet he made that woman. Jesus was placed in a manger, yet he made the tree that the manger was made from. He laid under the stars, yet he looked up at his own creation. He received elaborate gifts, yet he made the gifts. The creator, the everlasting, the eternal one came here so we could go there. This is the everlasting Jesus, ruler, king that we serve. Listen, beyond bringing life physically, we know that Jesus brings life 
spiritually. John points it out this way, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or how about how Paul wrote it in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about it. Without Jesus, we would be illegal immigrants in heaven. In other words, we wouldn't have the paperwork, the credentials to be legal. We could not go to that country. We don't belong there. But because of Jesus, we can go to a kingdom that we could not once go to. Paul put it like this in Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But Jesus brings life, not just physically, but spiritually. We have eternal life through Jesus. He is the father of eternity. Paul would say it again like this to the church at Ephesus, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen to me, friends. Please don't miss what Christmas brings. It brings life. Jesus didn't come to bring death. He came to bring life. This is why John wrote, Jesus saying, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have a life and have it abundantly. Or how about this one? Less famous than John 3, 16 is John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, Christmas brings something beautiful. It brings Life. Why? Because our King Jesus brings life. We need to help people see that kind of king, that kind of ruler. Let me go quickly. Let me show you the second one. I only have three, which by the way, we could have hundreds, but I only have three. Here's the second one. Our King Jesus, not only does he bring life, he brings communion. Our King Jesus brings communion. Listen, Jesus is certainly the father of eternity, but we know this doesn't simply mean that we will be with Jesus one day in heaven for all eternity. Though we will, it also means that Jesus has given us a relationship right now with the creator of all things, with the everlasting father. As a matter of fact, the term father points to a relationship that we now have that we did not have before. Before Jesus, we were separated from God, but through Jesus, we have communion, we have fellowship, we have relationship with him. Through his death, through his sacrifice, through his love, we have communion with God. As a matter of fact, I read a really way to think about this. It was from an old email story that was circulating for years and years and years. Matter of fact, you may have read this story before. It's an old story about a, a young boy named Nicholas who was in kindergarten and his mother, as Nicholas was preparing for a Christmas program at his school, the title of the program was The W in Christmas. Sorry, that wasn't the title of the program. That was the title of the email. I apologize. The performance, however, it's at a public school, and so the mom was typically prepared for the usual things that would happen. There would be some fun commercial Christmas entertainment like songs of reindeers and Santa Claus and snowflakes and good cheer. However, his son's class rose and began to sing a song titled Christmas Love. 
Now, one by one in the song, here's what would happen. One kid would get up and he would sing C is for Christmas and sing a little bit about it and he would hold up a letter and it would be C. And then the next kid would get up and sing a little something about H is for happy and they would hold up an H and it would continue on and on until they spelled out the name of the song, which was Christmas love. And as the song continued to go on and the kids began to perform, everybody started laughing in the, in the audience as the kids were doing uh, their program because a little girl who was supposed to have the M actually turned it upside down and where it was supposed to be the M in Christmas, it was in fact a W. And so everybody's laughing. The little girl, of course, has no idea and they continue through the program until at the end of the song, there's a hush over the entire building. Because here's what they discovered. In an instant, they understood the reason why they were there, the reason why they celebrated the holiday in the first place, why even in the chaos, there was a purpose for the festivities. When the final letter in the title of the song was held high, the message read loud and clear. It didn't say Christmas love. It said Christ was love. You say, Danny, why is this significant? Because this is exactly what Christmas brings. Our king brings communion with a God who loves us dearly. You say, Danny, how do we know? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. First John 4, 9 through 10, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Psalm 36, five through seven, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 136, 26, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Or how about Romans 8, 35 through 39? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm not sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, our King Jesus brings life, but he certainly brings communion. We need people to see this kind of ruler, this kind of leader, this kind of king, the one who brings brings people 
into a relationship with the creator of the universe. Let me show you this last one. Our King Jesus certainly brings life. He certainly brings communion, but also our King Jesus brings provision. Like any good father, Jesus wants to provide for all we need. He wants to give us good gifts. I love how he said it himself in Matthew chapter 7 when he said these words, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I was reading this, and, and as I was preparing this sermon, I saw a Duracell commercial on TV. You may have seen it. It's kind of a, a Christmas commercial. It, it replays all these old uh, video footages of kids on Christmas morning opening their gifts and going embracing their parents because they're so excited over what they've received for Christmas. And it's beautiful. Matter of fact, I flash back to times when I was a kid and how excited I was over the things I got for Christmas. But then the commercial turns and now you're a parent and it's not you receiving the gifts anymore. It's you giving the gifts and you are well more excited than you were when you were a kid because now you get to be the one who gives good gifts to your children. And I thought, how could a Duracell commercial trying to get you to buy batteries for more and more money to have more and more gifts, how in the world could anything be better than a picture of God, a picture of Jesus, and what kind of gift he has given to us? You say, Danny, what kind of gifts do we have through Jesus? Let me just show you a couple of them. I'm, I'm going to finish. I, I'm going to stop talking. But let me just show you a few. God provides wisdom and direction through Jesus. Ephesians 2.10, I love this verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, God provides protection and security through Jesus. I love John chapter 10. Listen to these words from Jesus. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will not perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one will be able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Listen, God provides mercy and grace through Jesus. Listen to this, Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God provides comfort and peace through Jesus. I love Psalm 46.1. Listen to this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Philippians 4.7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God provides encouragement through Jesus. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of of Jesus Christ. Or how about his own words in John 16, 33? I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He provides encouragement. I read this quote this past week, a sports writer once asked Michael Jordan why he liked his father to be in the stands during a game, and here's what Jordan replied. He said, when he's there, I know I have at least one fan present. Can I tell you something? Jesus is always present. God provides inheritance through Jesus. Listen to this from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. In him, 
we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You know as well as I do this morning, we could keep going and going and going with all the ways that we are blessed in Jesus Christ. But can I ask you a question? Listen, you might be here this morning and you're thinking, man, it's Christmas time and I'm just hanging out with family and I've got a break for a few days and I'm just hanging out at church because what else am I going to do? You might be here right now this morning and you thought to yourself, you're sitting there, you're hearing the word of God and for the very first time, it's like, wow, there really is someone out there who loves me. There really is a better way, a better leader, a better ruler, a better king. Can I tell you something? There is. His name is Jesus. And can I tell you something? He brings life. For those who don't know him, they can have better than physical life. They can have eternal life through Jesus if you will simply surrender your life to him. Listen, our King Jesus brings communion. Do you know that you get to fellowship with God because of what Jesus has done on your behalf? Why? Because we have a better leader. We have a better ruler. We have a better king. No earthly king could do it. No person in this room could do it. I can't do it. Jesus could do it. He is the better king. But you know what? Jesus also brings provision every single day. We can walk this life because Jesus is there every step. This is the kind of king. This is the kind of ruler. This is the kind of leader that this world needs. Listen, I wonder if you're here this morning and you need that kind of king. Maybe it's time to take yourself off the throne and say, Jesus, I want you. Can I tell you something else? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Danny, I I, I follow Jesus. I gave my life to him years ago. Well, can I ask you this? Is he still the one that's on the throne of your life or are you trying to do things on your own? Because can I tell you something? We have a better leader. We have a better ruler. We have a better king. His name is Jesus. Why not let him rule? Hey, maybe you're here this morning and you say, Danny, I want that kind of communion with God. I want that kind of relationship with an everlasting father. I want that kind of provision. I want that kind of encouragement. I want that, Danny. Can I tell you something, friends? You can have it right now. I'm not the everlasting father. Your father, no matter how great he was, is not the everlasting father. But we know someone who is a better father. He is a better leader. He is a better ruler. He is a better king. Why wouldn't we submit to his rule and his reign over us? Can I tell you something, friends? Christmas brings something spectacular. His name is Wonderful Counselor. His name is Mighty God. His name is Everlasting Father. His name is Prince of Peace. Hey, can I tell you something, friends? His name is Jesus, and he is a better king. Will you submit to King Jesus today? Father, we love you. Thank you. Jesus, you're awesome. God, thank you for our time in your word this morning. Father, there's...